Hi, thanks for joining us this week for the Living the Call podcast. In this podcast, we explore how our calling doesn't just make us more churchy, but affects our entire lives. We're all called to something greater. So how does that affect the topics relevant to your life and your family? Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. I, um, I'm really excited for this conversation and this guest um, I'm excited for all of our guests. If any of our past guests are listening, you're not, you're not unloved. You're not. Um, <laughs> you, you have our... inherent value. We talked about it two podcasts ago. True. Um, but our, uh, guest today is Dr. Randy Rogers. He, uh, taught Isaac and I in college at Wayland. And, um, so if you have any problem with Isaac at all, blame him. Um, Truth. yeah. <laughs> uh, Dr. Rogers, would you like to introduce yourself? Well, yes, I would. My name is Dr. Randy Rogers. I teach in the School of Christian Studies at Wayland Baptist University. Biblical studies is my forte. I do a little bit of Greek and had these guys in a couple classes. And uh, I have fond memories of them because I've forgotten most of the stuff. So, yay. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad to be uh, dialed up by them to come by and do this. Um, I like to continue the relationships because now I don't see them as former students, but as partners in ministry. And I love that part of it. So guys, it's good to join you today. Thanks. Oh, so nice. Thank you. I feel loved. That I was sweet. Yeah. I feel my value. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, today um, we're talking to Dr. Rogers. Um, and the theme of this episode is called to another kingdom. And now Isaac has, uh, kind of taken lead in writing the questions for this one. And, um, so I'm going to let him, I'm going to hand it off to him and let him introduce what this topic is about. I'm very impressed because Anderson just doesn't want to take the blame for what we're talking about today. We're talking about <laughs> everyone's favorite subject. We're talking about, um, American Christianity and how we as, I'm assuming a lot of our listeners are American. Maybe that's a bad assumption. If you're listening and you're not from America, leave a comment, let us know. Um, but I assume most of us are Americans. And unless you're just listening and want to know more about Jesus and you're not a follower of Christ, I'm glad you're listening. But I also assume most of us are Christians. And so when you're a follower of Christ and you're an American, you kind of have this dual, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm also an American. And I think for a long time, we kind of merged those two things as those were two things that went hand in hand. But at the same time, I think they're two separate things that we as followers of Christ need to look at. So that's kind of the conversation we're having for today. Uh, hopefully we don't say anything that steps on anyone's toes too much. Only a slight step like on the mm -hmm. peaky toe. Yeah. A uh, slight nudge. Yeah. I don't know. Steel-toed boots are encouraged. All right. Well, let's start <laughs> stepping on some toes then. Um, our first question, uh, do Christians let God define how they see America or let America define how they see God? All right. One thing I didn't mention earlier, I'll mention now, I've spent 20 years in the pastorate. And so the question of how does Christianity and culture mesh has always been an issue uh, that we address in church. Mm. Uh, where's the line of me being holy and me being relevant in community? How do those mix together? Some things that seem relevant, you reflect on them and you feel like, well, that wasn't very Christian after all, after years. So I think it's very difficult to tell. How do you separate 
your culture, which is your worldview, the way you view life, how do you separate that from your Christian values? Mm. We're American. We have certain values within the culture. Um, so I think it's really tough. It's a, it's a great question. It's something that we need to review regularly. Um, where do you draw the line between this is my uh, American culture, this is how I define my life, this is my job, this, I mean, all the things that go within this identity, education, language, all of it, and how Christ comes in and, and how those things mesh together. So mm-hmm. um, on the one hand, we're definitely Americans, and we're going to view Christianity from that. We're Western Americans, so we're going to view it from a, a thought process that's more logical and Greek and Roman than Eastern thought process. We're, we're also enlightened Americans, so we're going to have the impact of science and rationalism. That's a part of our view of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we approach it always. And so um, if we assume that all those things are absolutely right in every circumstance, enlightenment, Western thinking, the language we use, if that's the best way, the only way to do it, then everything else is going to appear less than those. Yeah. So sometimes you, you you have to admit where you come from, but is it the struggle or the is it the perspective that we have on our culture that dictates how we read Scripture, or is it Scripture that's going to transform the way we live in our culture? I think it's going to be. I think it has to be a balance of both on some level. But if we always find ourselves supporting our culture and reading scripture in that way to support what we do, where's the transformation in that? Where's the change in that? So um, I think in some ways we look at that question. I think I think you're going to have to be able to I think you're going to have to be able to look at your culture and let it, you know, it does define you. But how does Christianity fit into that? Um, thoughts, comments, responses so far? Yeah, I think it's a tricky balance. Um, because there are things to be proud of in in the United States. There are um, there are amazing things that have come from America um, through the hard work of people, um, freedoms that have come from um, people fighting for this country and fighting for some of the the um, the ideas that this country stands for. Uh, but at the same time, uh, like you t- touched on this. Uh, you can't keep that from kind of this collective sanctification process. You know, we're all individually going through a sanctification process, Mm -hmm. but as in a Christian culture, we walk that to an extent together. And so where are we, we calling out injustice? Where are we calling out um, where things are wrong? Um, You know, if, if we look at this country to set our morals and we look at lawmakers to set our morals um, and political parties to set our morals, then we are letting scripture and the influence of the spirit of God take us uh, a backseat. Growing up, I grew up in the church, but I also grew up as an American. And when I was younger growing up, I feel like going to church, at least in, in the Southern part of America, where it's still really expected that you go to church, that you're part of this culture. Growing up, it was, hey, church and state are really interwoven. These things are important together, and they both set how you should live based on you're an American, you should be proud to be American in this. You're a Christian, you should be proud to be a Christian in this, and they go together. But recently, I've noticed that, especially for this younger generation coming up, 
a little bit of mine and Anderson's and a lot of the generation coming up after us, there's a separation between religion and political pride. Um, and you can see there are people who make the assumption of you can't be a follower of Christ and not be a Republican or you can't be a follower of Christ and not be a liberal. And I've heard both stances and both arguments. And I think for people, they haven't realized, Hey, both of those political parties are made by people. They both have huge faults. They both have a lot of good they can do. But I think when we look at them and we think, Hey, you have to be a Christian and follow this. No, because neither fully embody what the Bible has for us. And neither can because they're political organizations made for politics and not to share the gospel and not for Jesus and what he's called us to be. And so when we put all of our stock in, hey, you can't be a follower of Christ and blank, I think that kind of draws us back from what God originally intended for us as his followers. Mm -hmm. I think part of our issue is how did we get here? If you remember, our country was started by people fleeing state-run religion. Mm. Why are we advocating that that should be reinstituted? It's not a part of our American heritage. But we're a Christian nation. Well, we're a Christian nation because persecuted Christians sought freedom to worship. And they came and they set up. And, and when they established their own rules, Puritans and others had their own communities. They were pretty hardline about it, too. Um, that would seem to be the culture they came out of. But what formed in our nation was this idea of separation of church and state. Why is that important? Well, uh, I think to make something very complicated, try to try to keep it just on a simple thought or idea. Separation of church and state means when the state fails, the church is not held accountable for it. Um, that's one of the values of it. Now, it also means that the state can be the state and the church can be the church. And on some level, there's a separation between the two. And I think that's what we struggle with. At what point does our state culture inform us about how to be Christian? And at what for point does our Christian culture inform us how to be the state and act with the state? Mm. Um, and again, I think there are many ways to interpret that. But the bottom line is, We've never been a nation that sought or advocated for religion and state to go hand in hand. And why is that a problem? Well, again, overgeneralization, but let's just look at some nations where that is the case. Uh, Nazi Germany, as an example. Oh, what, a, what an example to pick. Jump in the deep, jumping deep end. in the deep end. Yeah. Now, I'm not faulting Lutherans in terms of their uh, them being Lutheran is not the issue. But politically, they had they were the state religion. They had to buy into what was being sold by the government, and they supported it until it became very clear it wasn't the right thing to do. By then, it was too late. Mm -hmm. And when the Nazis lost, people not only saw Nazism as bad, but Lutheranism that bought into it suffered as well. Let's take a bigger picture in Europe in general. Notice that Anglicanism in England and Dutch Reformed in the Netherlands and the Catholic Church in France, when these regimes have turned secular, the, the, the people have lost faith in the government in these areas and they struggle now. The government struggles getting support for things and, and it looks like things have just, you know, 
turned upside down. The religions that were with those governments fell off as well because how are they supposed to associate anything with the government? The secularism of the government is directly related to the the church. So those denominations are losing because their politics have become secular and they've lost contact. Now, again, overgeneralizations, there's a lot of things going on. But the thing to consider is, and, and also this is actually good for America, the thing to consider is when American religion ever wants to tie itself to politics, when the politicians lose, the religion loses. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what Jesus intended for us to be or do. Um, the second thing is, since we have the idea of separation of church and state, right now our government can go up and down and the church can still be different because the direct decisions of the government are not supposed to reflect the direct beliefs of the religions in our nation. Hmm. So we have a system that allows us to be critical and yet participate. But when we see something like, I don't know, can we pick on uh, evangelicalism the last 20 years? I think we've got to be smarter than hitching our wagon to a political philosophy or political ideal. Politics change, culture changes. And if your religion is going to be above that, then you're going to have to represent yourself as more than Democrat, Republican, Mm -hmm. politics, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I think on some level, I think that's going to be very important. We have the ability to move past this because— we have the idea of separation of church and state. It should be a part of our religious DNA. Mm-hmm. When we give when we give that up, we lose a lot more than simply politics. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, it's smart to be aware of the fact that uh, politicians are looking for a win, and they're looking to be elected, and they're going to use what's important to the people in order to achieve that. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're, so they're going to pursue things that make them look righteous and make them look like they are, um, they're supporting the things that people believe in. Um, when I, I'm not saying all politicians are awful people that just want to use you for a vote. Um, but some of them are going to, and it's, it's super important that we recognize Mm -hmm. who is using us for a vote and who is genuinely trying to make a good moral or uh, or policy difference in this country. Um, you can look at uh, our past, our current president and our pa- past president. Um, both of them, both Donald Trump and uh, Joe Biden, claim to be Christians. But there's things you can look at in both of them and say his character in this situation does not align with the character of God. Mm. And there's policies that both of them have enacted that you can look at and say, these policies do not align with the character of God. Mm. Um, And so when people on the outside, when we're talking from a sharing the gospel point of view, see that these people are, are acting in this way and making policies in this way. And then, um, Christians around the nations to both of them hitch their wagon and say, yeah, these are the guys we support. Then we take them on as, as a sort of identity mm-hmm. and it becomes we it's already difficult to share the gospel and it becomes that much harder to share our hope and joy in Jesus to, to the lost people of this country. So I think one of the challenges that you're bringing up is how do we voice political opinions in a public square? 
without coming across as being totally about one individual. And this is a big problem mm-hmm. for Christians. Um, when we become personality-driven, whether it's in our churches or whether it's in politics, mm-hmm. the one personality that should drive us is Jesus, and everything mm-hmm. else is mm-hmm. going to be revolving around him. The minute we become about a politician, the minute we become about a, a minister as the driving force for us, we have lost our way on some level. How do we have that conversation in the political arena? And I think one of the things we need to realize is things have changed for us in this conversation. The 1950s, we were co-opted. And by the way, everybody looks back, oh, those were the great days. TV was watchable. Everybody was going to church. Numbers were way up in all our churches. I mean, Baptist churches. I mean, all our churches, we know. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could talk about these things and, and lay them out there. But the bottom line is Christianity was very important to politicians because it was the exact opposite of what communism was offering. You were co-opted. The 50s became your nation in a battle against evil on, on the other side of the sea. Mm-hmm. Well, the 60s rightly questioned that, and the questions of the 60s have come to full fruition where we are today. Secularism is the heart and soul of the public conversation. It brings a new dynamic and a new identity for us. Um, Religion is now a private matter. It's personal. It's a silent thing. Don't put out in public and certainly don't force your opinions on anyone else. Um, It used to be a public dialogue. Now it's intensely personal. That's a part of the, I think, what we might call the secularization of our public square. Used to be in the public square, if you were Christian, you could stand up and there'd be a set of identity and a set of rules, set of conversation and language that everybody would know. Now, it's not that way anymore. The secularization has changed the language. We don't like that. It's not my language. Well, sorry. You don't, unfortunately, we're not big enough to make those rules. That has shifted within culture itself. Uh, Being 50, I don't recognize all of that. You've already mentioned your generation and the one coming up underneath you. The language has changed for them. It's set. Um, and it's it's never going to come back to what I remembered. Mm. But, uh, is that a cultural loss? Eh, maybe for me. But understand, there's still conversation taking place. It's not my duty to change the language. It's my duty to catch up and figure out what words are being used and how they're using them. Secularization has has changed the way we talk about it, um, and therefore we've been marginalized in that. We used to Christians, Baptists especially in America, used to have a big voice. This is how the conversation needs to go. This is how we need to do war. This is how we need to talk about it. We're going to use churchy terms, and everybody's going to understand. And the ones that don't, well, there's not enough of them to make any difference. Well, guess what? It's not that way anymore. And our voices are marginalized. You're not the loudest voice in the room. You're not the strongest voice in the room. That's humbling. There are a lot of people, I suspect, in our churches that don't want to be humbled this way. We need to get back to this conversation. We need to go back to the language we used to use. We need to go back to the church that had say, oh, and power. Mm. And when we want to go back to that idea, we're ignoring the fact that the language has been set. The conversation is going to be had without you. You can't change the rules now. You've gone from living in uh, the time of David and Solomon, where everything was known to the Jews, to the time of living in Babylon. Mm. You're in exile now. You're not the power in the public square, but people are still talking. Are you going to cry and lament that they're not speaking your language? Are you going to learn the new language and do what Daniel did, do what Nehemiah did, and elevate yourself in a different culture and be the light of God Mm. within that culture? Yeah, you look at the story of, of Daniel and he rose not by 
Um, he, he was able to rise in that culture, but that didn't mean conforming to that culture. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, the, the very opposite, the, the um, set apart actions that he took are what set him apart and what rose him up in that culture for someone to say, hey, that person looks different and that person sounds different. How, how do I become like that person? You know, that's a great question. Um, and I wish I, I knew always, I can tell you, I have some ideas. I wish I practiced them all the time. I, I confess, I find myself in the public square thinking this would be a lot better if people sounded more like me. Hmm. Um, and that's arrogant. And it also doesn't acknowledge that God is still in control. So here's the first thing we can do in approaching a, a divided public square. We're pursuing a kingdom, not a not a political venue. We're, we're pursuing God's language here. So the first thing we need to do is accept, acknowledge, admit God's still in control. If you believe God is still in control, then if there's a shift in the conversation, you're going to be like, okay, God wants to go this direction. Or I can fight against God's will. And, and we see that even in the Old Testament, if we're using the exile as an example, Daniel, he had to roll with it. Um, mm-hmm. when, when Ezekiel was taken, he had to roll with it. Uh, when Isaiah was left, he had to roll with it. And the ones that fought against the Babylonian culture mm-hmm. died. But the prophets remained within those stories. They remained alive and were the voice of God in the midst of the struggle and the turmoil. Yeah. That's part of the problem. We'd rather have it easy and we'd rather have it our language. And when struggle comes, we'd rather complain about it and get back with the power rather than realize Christianity is as much or more about struggle and being different than it is about power and owning political clout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think there's even good things that can come from us not being in power, which I think a lot of people wouldn't like or struggle with the idea of. I think those who are followers of Christ when the culture is not cultural Christianity, those who are following him actually will give up, will make that sacrifice, will pick up their cross daily to follow. When we don't have struggle, when we're not making that sacrifice and it becomes cultural Christianity, what does it really count to follow? You know, there's a lot of people who claim to be followers of Jesus only because that was what culture told them to do. And you can see that in the millennial generation and the Gen Z generation of a lot of these kids saw their parents claim to follow Jesus, not actually live it out in how they live their life. And that allowed for them to say, well, this doesn't matter. This isn't something that will change my life because it doesn't matter to my parents. And because it doesn't matter to my parents, it doesn't matter to me. And so there's two generations coming up who those in those generations who are followers of Christ, they've bought in and they're excited about what they can do, but they're also coming up against people who represent the church on a larger scale, who have connected themselves to a political party or an identity, a non-eternal idea, and said, this is what's important, this is what matters. And because they've put so much stock into something that doesn't really matter, Mm. it becomes so much harder to talk about an eternal deity that does matter because our God is what's important. But when we put all our stock in, hey, these times are what mattered. Back when this was going on, this was when it was good or this political party matters. And if they don't win, then you can see the devil working, you know, like God's still God and he's still in control. And when you put all that, when you put that out there, it makes it so much harder when it's time to share the gospel with those who don't know. 
when, when Jeremiah talks about the Assyrians coming, God brings them. Mm-hmm. When Jeremiah talks about the Babylonians coming, God brings them. When Isaiah sees it, it's God's power. Uh, when the Persians return the people to the land, Cyrus is called a Messiah by Isaiah. God does it. So again, if we're going to get bent out of shape about Joe Biden being president, we need to be bent out of shape about Trump being president as well, because both mm-hmm. of them are secular entities compared to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and and we should, if we're going to pray for one, we're going to need to pray for the other one. Yeah. Um, it's it's wrong to single one out as being bad because they disagree with you. And the reality is, if God is the true mover and shaker in all of these things, which that's Old Testament, New Testament expressions. Uh, even Paul in Romans 13 indicates that the secular governments are from the hand of God, and we must submit because by meeting or submitting to them, we show that we honor God's plan in this. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, there's a lot of other conversation here. It's a simplified statement, but please it, understand that it's about God's sovereignty. Yeah. Trust in him. If you trust in him, we can still be the kingdom of God in this human kingdom where we mm-hmm. abide that sets our culture, our language, and the way we relate to people on a on a bigger scale. Yeah. I saw the other day on my TikTok something that I thought was pretty interesting. It was someone who I I don't know if y'all listeners know how TikTok works, but it's something where it follows an algorithm based on what you like. It'll show you these things and what you're interested in. And so I see a lot of Christian content on there. And there was this person who posted a video. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Uh, there was this person who posted a video and they were talking about how they were a follower of Christ. And it was a person of African-American descent. And there were so many comments about why are you following a white person's God? Why are you following this person? who is basically someone else's God who doesn't belong to you. And it was interesting to see. I clicked on her thing to see if she ever made any responses, and she did. And she talked about, you know, one, Jesus wasn't American. Mm -hmm. Jesus wasn't white. Um, I don't understand why you think that has anything to do with Jesus. Clearly, the Jesus you've been shown isn't the Jesus that I follow. And I... Yeah. And I, it took me a second. Cause I was like, that's the Jesus that sometimes gets represented in the American church Yeah, is a Jesus with American views. The things that are important to an American person are what matters to him. And to a lot of people, especially young people, the things that mattered to the American people in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, the things that were important then don't matter to them. And so if that's what matters to Jesus, this uneternal thing that doesn't really in the long run matter to the history of the world, then why would they want to follow that? They want to follow someone who brings an eternal difference. And we need to start presenting Jesus as the Jesus that the Bible describes, someone who is a heavenly ruler and not an earthly ruler. Yeah. I think... One of the things that you guys are touching on is uh, the need for identity. Mm-hmm. When we give our identity to politics or a certain past tense idea, a vision of what used to be, um, and churches are bad about that, 
it, I mean, been in staff mm-hmm. for years, worked with pastors, worked with churches all my life. The past is always better because it's the known. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at these these images again of the of the prophets and the the, the kings and and then even in the exile. The success of the people of God under persecution comes from a clear identity of who we are. It's not related to the conquering. It's not related to human power. It's related to the message that God is redeeming through this community. Old or New Testament, that's God's purpose to bring the world back to him. Mm. If we lose that identity of bringing the world to our kingdom through Jesus, and we turn it into bringing the world to, you know, bringing the world into a new human kingdom, human culture, human language, mm. human finances. If we've shifted gears on that, um, then our identity is lost. Mm-hmm. And once you lose your identity, as you noted for young people, they saw materialism in their religion. Mm. They didn't see a Jesus worth hanging on to in their religion. We lost our identity. We lost who we were following. We took our eyes off of him. And our sons and daughters are right to question that, and they're right to say, is there something more? Yeah, and and they and they are doing so. Our numbers are way down. Uh, religion across the board is way down, because we don't know how to have the right conversation in the secular culture. Yeah. We still want to be in power. We're not. Our kids know this. The adults are the ones who don't seem to want to accept it. Mm-hmm. We want to vote it back in. Again, the kids are not wanting some. Well, it's not going to be life changing to vote. Votes change every four years. That's not life altering. That's mm-hmm. not life changing. What our students really are desiring is something that's going to weather the storm of the vote, something that's going to weather the changes that are coming with the uh, the global warming around them. They're looking for something that's going to going to uh, help them stay afloat when the finances may turn, or or um, when other political, socio political issues continue to rise. You know, and just all the the drama they see, they they need security. And it's not going to be from politics, and it's not going to be from the 1950s. It's not from yesterday because we don't live there. Mm. So, again, uh, we're going to need to find a way to help them realize God's in control and that our identity is the same in a community of faith from the moment Jesus Christ came and he rose from the dead and and he gives life to all of us. We are still in that story, and our identity has weathered for centuries, and we're going to continue that. But we can't lose it to politics, and we can't lose it uh, because we're afraid. We, we've got to hang on to that. So I think a clear identity, a clear vision, scripturally based on who we are in Christ, is essential to overcoming this, um, uh, just this need to feel politically motivated in our religion. No, um, it's a part of who we are, but it's mm-hmm. not the core yeah. of who we are. You, you talk about the word vision and, uh, you know, my brain connects that to, to goal. And so we, we set a vision so that we can achieve a goal. Um, and I think back to the, the exile of Israel and, um, you know, they had years of, of political dominance and they didn't use that well Mm. and they were punished for that. Um, and then in exile, their, their longing, what brought them back into their land was a longing for the presence of God, not because their grass was the best or the cows got really fat out there. Um, but because the temple of God where his presence resided was in, in Israel. Um, and so maybe our mindset shouldn't necessarily be on 
all these physical things, all of these physical kingdoms to set up, but like where the presence of God is, which we know through Jesus is in us. And so how are we, how are we growing the presence of God within us and then sharing that um, with not the country, but with individuals? Yeah, we're, we're distinctive. Our king is not seen. Our kingdom is not flesh and blood. We don't fight battles. We shouldn't be striving for war with bombs that destroy human beings. Mm -hmm. uh, ours is against spiritual entities. This is the nature of our kingdom. That's really our identity. It's mm -hmm. bigger than this. Now, again, we've got to deal with the secular. We've got to deal with pushback we get from politics. We have to approach, again, we have to approach the conversation with the powers that be from a very humble standpoint. We don't have all the answers. We don't know all the language. We're going to have to listen and learn better. We're not good at that right now. But having said that, that still doesn't change my identity as a spiritual being following a, a spiritual savior looking for transformation of my life. And that transformation allows for my community to be better, my conversation to be better. It allows for my world to change. Uh, um, when you have power, you can make unilateral moves, tell people the way it's going to be, and it's done. I think our churches want to go back to that model, um, which is horrible because we're not good at it. Christianity really thrives in places where it's persecuted. Christianity really grows in places where it reaches out to those who know they need it, not those who want to use it for something. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's time for the church to step back and say, uh, we need to let go of our our passion for power. We need to let go for our willingness to unilaterally make decisions that are good for everybody, force our morality on other people. Mm. We're trying to give them a lifestyle when we need to be giving them spiritual change. Mm. If there's true spiritual connection with Christ, the lifestyle will follow. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, again, identity is key to that. If you know who you are, you can present that no matter what the politics are. And if you know who you belong to and if he's in charge, God himself, then you're not worried about the other decisions because you can still follow him, do the kingdom stuff you're supposed to do. And these other things, well, God has those in his hand as well. Uh, one other thing I see that they do well in Babylon, um, when, Daniel, when Daniel had the idea that I don't want to eat the food they're eating, he was willing to defer. Look, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm not going to tell you I'm right. I'm not going to force you to believe that my God and my diet are the best, but I, I'll make an offer for you. And I defer to your will on this, oh, guard, who could kill me if you wanted to. Mm. Um, if you'll give me this diet, I promise you I'll be in better health than everybody else. But if I'm not, I'll eat what food you have. So he's deferring. He's making a deal. He's not accepting. He's not simply going along with the culture. Or no, he's not trying to butter them up either. Oh, what great food y'all have. I'm going to be a better Jew now because you're giving me something else. No, He knows what his identity is, but he doesn't demand it. He makes a deal. He defers. And the deference, the willingness to submit, the willingness to ask, led to an opportunity for conversation and, in fact, transformed his whole life there and the life of his friends. That attitude helped him lead and be a part of transformation within that culture. And it saved his people because yeah. they're the minority. You're going to have to admit it. You are now the minority. And if you're not good with that, it's going to be a rough couple of generations for you mm -hmm. or more.
We've come to a point where Christians have a lack of power. And uh, uh, I was thinking, we had this conversation earlier today, Isaac and I, with Justin Justin Stice. Uh, if you're listening, you probably heard that conversation a few weeks ago. Um, but we recorded two today. And earlier today, we were talking to him. And he was talking, we were talking about poverty. And he was saying how everyone has some kind of poverty within them. Um, you know, just talking about um, poverty and wealth in compared to non-currency terms. Um, that you can have a wealth of power, but you look at the teachings of Jesus and wealthy people, they don't really have that. Um, they don't, they don't have a happy ending often in the teachings of Jesus. It's hard for a rich person to get to heaven, sell your stuff and follow me. Um, and so maybe, maybe we should joy, should be joyful that we don't have a wealth of power anymore because it leads to a dependence on Jesus. When Anderson said that, uh, just so the followers know, that was a quote from Jesus. Anderson is not asking you to follow him. I might edit that out later. Follow me. Anderson Schmig. <laughs> not Anderson Schmig. <laughs> Please do not. At underscore Schmig underscore on Instagram. <laughs> that is not what we want. Follow me. This is the opposite of what we're going for. I'm also not editing any of this out. <laughs> Your next cult leader. Anderson Schmig. <laughs> The Cult of Schmig is not a bad name. Uh, it sounds like a make good a band, good, actually. It would yeah. make a good Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I have enjoyed our conversation, and we are at our time limit. And so at this point, I, I want to open it up to any last comments from you guys. We can each say our, our last piece and then wrap it up. I would want to give a shout out to a book called Wisdom from Babylon by Gordon T. Smith. Uh, it's a read I've had. It's challenged me to think about some of these things, reminded me of some stuff I've been through before. And some of the information that I've kind of been working through in this conversation has been derived from some of his work in that book. So I highly recommend it. It'll give you a chance to think through this conversation, um, how we fit in as minorities in terms of our faith mm. and how we fit in in terms of uh, having less power, but still having spiritual influence. Mm. It this is not all lost. There's still great opportunity here, but we're going to have to change our song if we're going to do what God wants us to do. I think uh, if you look in the Bible, all throughout the times that the Jewish people are under someone else's authority, they were wanting uh, more power. They were wanting to get back to where they were. And you look at it, especially when Jesus was around, how many people when he came, they wanted a earthly Messiah. They wanted someone to save them from uh, the Romans, make them the political power at the time. They wanted someone who would give them the power on earth. But y'all, what real power is, is an eternal power that's found in Jesus. You know, if you're upset because you don't have an earthly power, remember, if you're following Jesus, you have the power of God behind you. That's more power than you could ever wish for. So much more. I don't know if having this earthly power is even worth caring about or crying about because we have someone so much better that we're following. So I think what we need to do is focus on following him and allowing his power to work through us. Yeah. Um, I hate ending the, like the final thoughts thing because everyone else has things so wise. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you guys, you guys had a lot more wise things 
because you should, you should I just said the word yeah. more wise. So, uh, well, you know, wisdom oh. is science, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, I think the last thing I have to say is, uh, growing up in high school and also in college, I played sports and we would, uh, we'd have a bunch of like assemblies about keeping your grades up and being a good student. And the thing they would say over and over, over and over again is you are a student student athlete, not an athlete student. The student comes first because you focus on your grades first and then you're an athlete after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you look at the political landscape nowadays and the Christian landscape nowadays, and it's super easy to say, I am a progressive Christian. I am a conservative Christian. And, and you like, you put what's important first. Um, I would caution against that. I would say, don't put something before your Christianity. Don't, don't describe your Christianity before you say it. Just say, I'm a follower of Jesus. That was so wise. Good job. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. I like to think of you as a Christian progressive. <laughs> That's actually his insurance. So yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> All right. Christian Geico and uh, Christian general. Let's <laughs> sign off. Christian General's part of the Salvation Army. <laughs> it all comes full circle. All right, let's go. Um, let's go follow another kingdom and live the call. 